we're going to be continuing on in the book of 1 Corinthians. If we make it through 1 Corinthians, Lord willing, I think we might start in Genesis after that. So, ooh, I like that response. Nice. All right, but we got to finish out 1 Corinthians. So today... I already decided we were going to try and cover the whole chapter. And I just decided this morning, that's going to be too much. So we're going to cover half of it. And, but I'm going to really front load the message with a lot of context and kind of putting things kind of review and context. So if you're like, come on, get to it. I want us to understand the context, the setting, the landscape before we dive into this particular passage. So 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 33, we're going to cover 10, 1 through 13. But I just want to start by asking a few questions here. What are some of the risks that parents take when they give their children certain freedoms or liberties? And then knowing this, knowing this, why do parents continue to give their children freedom or liberty? Got to get them prepared. Okay, what are some of the risks? that we take when we give our kids freedom? Bad influences? Yeah, that they may make mistakes. Abuse the freedom. Abuse the freedom. That's a nice phrase for the passage we're looking at today. Getting hurt? Yeah. What's even worse than them getting hurt? Could get, get killed, right? Yeah, yeah. But we continue to give our kids freedom, certain freedoms, right? We don't just say, like, no, we're going to put you in your room and just cushion the walls and everything you have is nerf. Like, that, we, we don't do that. We get them out in the world, and uh, that's what good parents do. How does a good parent, remember, a good parent respond when their child abuses the freedom that's been given to them? Take it away. Consequences. Grace and forgiveness, discipline. Yeah, I would say we, the key to this one would be a good parent, because I don't think that's probably a good idea. It depends on what it, you got to pick your battles, but we definitely can't ignore all of them. What's that? Give them instruction. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, reuse it as a teaching opportunity. Good. And then if we, so let's just say, why do parents respond that way? Because they love their kids, right? They want to give them freedom. They want to teach them. They want to correct them. If they get a spanking or whatever it is, the consequences, it's because you want to guide them in the freedom so that they don't continue to do that. Now, if we believers have been cleansed and forgiven of all our sin, then what motivates us? To avoid sin. If I've already been forgiven for the sins I'm going to do tomorrow, why not do the sins I'm going to do tomorrow? Why avoid it? Consequences, that. That's right. And God motivates us much as good parents motivate their children. He gives rewards and blessings when you obey. He says that we can earn crowns in heaven and that there are all, all kinds of good consequences. And he motivates with negative consequences, spankings, as we would maybe say.
Yeah. When we are obedient, I feel like a natural, God's designed it this way, we end up living at peace. Uh, even if life is not going great, but if we're making good choices, obedient and staying close to him, we often have peace. If we're walking in sin, peace disappears, doubts and all kinds of things creep in. Penny? Yeah. Yes, without a doubt, it does. I mean, many people here have the effects of their parents' sin still weighing them down on, in their own life. And many of us, whether it's our own children or other people around, our sin has caused big problems for other people. Typically those closest to us, unfortunately, our sin, that's what usually hurts the most is those closest to us. So taking a big step back at the book, again, I told you I want to front load this. Kind of the idea of the whole book is be conformed to Christ, not the culture. And that's really fitting for this era that we are in right now. There's a lot of pressure, even for the church, to conform to the ways of the world, to conform to the culture, to accept things that God says you are not supposed to be okay with, to bring things into the church that we are not supposed to bring into the church. And what Paul is saying in this book is he's be conformed to Christ, not the culture. A lot of what we've talked about, they were just following the culture. Uh, remember, first it was talking about worldly wisdom, and then we realized our wisdom is found in Christ, and they were dealing with issues of division, forsaking immorality. Uh, remember, it was talking about they were even going to the temple. Some of them were participating with temple prostitutes. These were people of the church and going uh, to temple prostitutes. Uh, and to realize our cleansing comes from Christ. To check our liberty, this is what we've been talking about Christian liberty the past few weeks. Our freedoms for furthering Christ's salvation. It's not for my own, uh, just my own enjoyment. We have freedom, and that's meant to supposed to be furthering the message of Christ. Forsake chaos, we'll get into that. Forsake fatalism, we'll get into that in the last bit of the chapters. But I want you just to see, most of all, this concept, because this is such a message that we need personally and we need as a church. It's easy for the culture to squeeze us in the world's ways to squeeze in on us and us to start adopting or adapting to that conforming to that when we need to be conforming to Jesus Christ. So we, we were talking before about, if you remember from chapter eight, we were talking about, uh, Christian liberties or freedom in Christ. And he says, I did, you do have freedom in Christ, but and you're going to give, go, go through some parameters on that. And then in chapter nine, he gave up. He said, I have rights too. As an apostle, I should be getting paid by you guys, but I've given up my rights. I've given up my freedom and what I could have. And I've actually taken on strain. And so he tells them, you do have freedom, but sometimes it's good to sacrifice your freedom. And he says, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. Literally, I'm not going to take money from you guys. I'm going to go out and earn and be a tent maker. So that's a freedom and something I have a right to. You guys pay me. So he, he does that. And then today in chapter 10, he's going to get into some more parts about freedom. But we talked about Christian liberty or freedom. Again, this is kind of just put it back in perspective. We have freedom. We've been freed from the penalty of sin. We deserve to die. We deserve hell. We've been freed from that. We've been freed from the power of sin. 
We do not have to be slaves. Romans 6 says you don't have to be a slave to sin. That's a choice. We've been freed from the Jewish law, right? We don't have to not eat pork. Like We can eat non-kosher stuff. That's not a rule. Even in scripture, there was a lot of debating going on. It's like, no, you don't have to follow all the Jewish rules anymore. And then we're free in respect to the activity that's not forbidden in the Bible. If it doesn't say you cannot do this. And so some of these issues commonly comes as like what we wear, uh, tattoos, piercings, tobacco, tobacco or alcohol consumption, recreational gambling, watching worldly TV movies, worldly music. And so these are some of the things that we often struggle with when we talk about Christian liberty is we will take on some of these type of topics. And I'm just going to give an example. And this will, this is a preview example. So I have a buddy and he, uh, it does not say in scripture, like you cannot buy a lottery ticket. You cannot gamble at all with your money. It does, it, but there are all kinds of principles that say it's not wise to be foolish with your money. Be wise with your money. But he has this Christian, he's thought he had some Christian freedom to gamble. And so he's kind of dabbled in that, and it's bit him quite a few times over the years. And he's had that freedom because he doesn't say you can only spend this much money on a gambling thing. Do you, are you with me on that? That it, you cannot go to a verse that says you can spend 0.6% of your income on gambling. It's not expressly written. It, you may go, well, why would you do it anyways? It's foolish. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about does the Bible expressly say you cannot do it? So we've, him and I have had this conversation a lot of times and, uh, just a couple weeks ago, they went on vacation. And he's like, I blew it, man. I went into a casino, and I racked up $7,000 worth of debt. And he's like, now? He goes, I, I want to pay it off in a year. So I'm going to be paying 600 bucks a month to get that debt paid off. He's like, I'm never stepping foot in a casino again. And him and I have known each other for decades, and this has been a perpetual thing for him. And what I always refer to it, I'm like, you got to get rid of that dog, man. I was like, it's, you got this thing, and you think it's a pet dog, and you're kind of like, oh, it's fun. Oh, he's so nice. And then the dog mauls you, and you get a little better. You bandage it up, and instead of getting rid of the dog, you kind of leave it around, and then you think of all the fun times you had walking the dog or the time the dog was so cute when he brought the ball over. And you're kind of thinking of all these good times, but this dog keeps mauling you. It's like, it's biting you. Get rid of the dog. And this is kind of an example of what Paul is saying, going to be saying today. When we talk about Christian liberties, you may think, I can do what I want, but it could bite you, right? Yeah. So some of the things we talked about before, is it beneficial? This is what we got from the passage. I didn't make these up. Is it beneficial? Is it enslaving? Is it going to like make life more complicated? Is it going to hinder my service to the Lord? Is it going to cause others to stumble? And then even today, we could add to it, will it cause me to stumble? So again, if you remember on chapter 9, the last verse we talked about, last time we were, Scott talked last week, but the last verse we talked about, Paul says, I don't want to be disqualified. So I 
discipline myself. I discipline my choices I make with my body. I discipline what I'm going to do because I don't want to be disqualified. He doesn't mean disqualified from heaven. What he's talking about is be disqualified from receiving a prize. Uh, well done from Jesus. He's saying, I don't want to do that. I want to end well. I want to run this race and hear Jesus say, well done. I want that prize. And he says, I don't want to do that. I don't want to lose that. So I discipline myself. I make disciplined choices. And then we're going to have today's message. And then in the very next verse is imitate me as I also imitate who? Christ. In other words, what he's saying is conform to Christ. Conform to Christ, not the culture is what he's saying here. So today we're talking about being where of letting your freedom lead you or others into sin. Today, we're just going to be talking about you because we cut the passage in half. Do you remember? Here was kind of the framework of it. They, were, they had food that was sacrificed to idols. I'm just going to read through this. So leftovers of the pagan sacrifices were sold in the marketplace, but very often the, mark, the meat was not marked as, hey, this was meat offered to a sacrifice. So you go into the butcher shop there and you got meat and you're like, this one's a lot cheaper. And it's cheaper because it was used as a sacrifice and it's usually was better meat because they were choosing the choice meat. And so people, a lot of times they wouldn't market as, Hey, this meat was sacrificed to idols. And some believers said, that's no problem. I can eat that meat. Like that's meat. Doesn't uh, make me unclean. I can eat whatever I want. And those gods that they're offering are not even real gods at all. There's only one real God. And so there's this idea of meat in the marketplace that was offered and the Christian freedom was, we have freedom to eat that meat. Then there was this other side of the argument. Because the pagan worshipers would gather together for feast while they worshiped their gods. And it seems some of the Corinthian believers were participating in this feast. So in other words, it would be like, you got the big pagan temple down. Do we have a pagan temple here in town? Could I give me cross streets? Does anyone know cross streets of a pagan temple? There's probably one somewhere. Imagine a pagan temple somewhere here in town. You attended that temple. For years, you were a pagan that went to the temple. That's where all your buddies are. That's where your relationships were. You like going to the pagan feast. It was always the best food around. And they knew how to make it. And you really loved it. And then you become saved. You become a Christian. And you start going to church. And you think, you know what? I'm going to go back to one of those temple feasts. See my old friends. Do do hang out there and it seems like that's what some of the christians were doing was still participating in that in chapter eight it says this if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple will not the conscious of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols in other words if you're going in there and going into the pagan feast isn't that going to affect your fellow brothers and christian your brothers and sisters who are christians they're going to go what? Is that okay? Is that, is that permissible for me to do? So that's the idea of Christian freedom. He's going, you have freedom here, but you need to be thinking about how you use your freedom. You with me? Okay. So here in, in these first 13 verses, he's essentially saying, don't let your liberty lead you to sin. I just gave an example of my buddy. And he had some liberty there, right? I don't know. I'm going to ask how many people here bought a lottery ticket. Okay. <laughs> we have volunteers, but 
but I'm guessing at least half the folks here would be raising their hand. How many people have gone to the casino or play some things online or do some online sports betting or bet at golf or I mean, I mean there's some free like freedom there, right? But freedom can be used to lead you to sin. And I just gave you an example of that. So the message today is not don't gamble. The message today is don't let your freedom lead you into sin. In the following verses, the verses we're going to look at, Paul draws a parallel between God rescuing, loving, and providing for the Israelites and what God has done for us in Christ. Has God rescued us? Has God loved us? Has God provided for us? He wants us to have real-life examples of Scripture, how God's people, are we God's people who had been taken care of by God? Have we been taken care of by God? How these people experienced all these awesome things then fell into idolatry and sin. It can happen to us. That's what he's saying. God can do all kinds of amazing things for you. God can save you. God can take care of you. God can provide for you. God can walk with you or you can walk with God and then end up sinning. He's wanting them to know, hey, you can't ride on yesterday's successes. So here, here's where he says that. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all, all our fathers, the Israelites, were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. Under the cloud was a pillar of cloud that led them out as they were uh, slaves in Egypt and they were led out by a pillar of cloud. Uh, and passed through the sea. That's the Red Sea. God rescued them, saved them, got them through the Red Sea. All were baptized or identified with Moses in the cloud in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. In other words, God met their spiritual needs. And all drank the same spiritual drink. And then, says they drank of that spiritual rock. That rock was Christ. Do you remember? Moses spoke to the rock and the rock uh, supernaturally delivered water to, to their meet their need, living water, life that we give them, just like Jesus Christ gives us the living water that we need. And then do you remember later, Moses actually didn't get to go into the promised land because he went and whacked the rock. And God says, I didn't tell you to whack that rock. It, you took matters into your own hand. So God disciplined him for doing that. But that rock was Jesus Christ. And it says, so God did all these things. He took them out of Egypt. He walked with them. He fed them. He gave them drink. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. In other words, a lot of them, most of them, you could almost say in a sense, all but two of the grown adults, all but two of the grown adults died in the wilderness. Even though God had done all this stuff with them. Why did they die? Well, we're going to see. So for us, the question would be, am I living on past successes and victories? Maybe think about how you overcome this or uh, you conquered that habit or you've done and you're kind of just like, I'm on e Like, I don't need to be where anymore. I'm, I've got it figured out. I've got this far on my walk. I don't do that stuff anymore. We need to ask ourselves, am I living on that? Do I take God's grace, mercy and kindness for granted, forgetting he's God? And I am to serve him instead of myself. Isn't that what happened with these Israelites? They saw all that God had done. And they're like, okay, cool. Thanks. They took that for granted. They did not go, we'll do everything you say. We will obey you. That can be so true of us as Christians. We take all that God's done for us. And we're like, I got it from here. I'm going to make the choices. 
I'm going to use my liberty the way I want to use it. I got the liberty. I don't need to check in with God on this. So we took the concept here we're talking about in these first 13 verses is don't let your liberty lead to sin. Sin starts with a desire. Man, that's tricky, isn't it? Here's what he says next in the next verses. He says, now these things became our examples. So these things were given to us so we could see and not make the same mistakes. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things. That word lust means we shouldn't desire. That's what that means. Sometimes the word lust, desire can be used in a good way. But here it's being used as desiring something evil as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. So this is where the whole problem started. God did all these things. And then what did they do? They had a desire for some evil things. A lot of times we think of evil and we'll picture, you know, some, uh, you know, Pantera, uh, whatever you call it, some old rock band that has the pentagram on their thing and uh, all these old satanic-ish kind of things. When it talks about evil things, that word typically means harmful, wicked. And we have desires for harmful things, right? Maybe you've wished harm and kind of have a secret hope for someone to fail or their business to collapse or some, uh, some kind of calamity to befall somebody, but you have these desires, or maybe you have something that's contrary to what God, God says we can have desires. And God allows us certain desires, but when they go outside of his bounds, they become evil things. I'm going to give you an example. I do want to hear you a second. So let's say you have in this circle, does God allow sex? Yes, within the bounds of marriage. Take that outside, it becomes an evil thing. Does God allow rest? Yes. Take that outside of the bounds of God and scripture, it becomes laziness or gluttony. Or, do you see what I'm saying? So well, the evil things are outside of God's prescribed boundaries for each of those things. So the idea is we can have desires for things that are outside of God's bounds. Rochelle. Injure, so yes, the word has the idea of harmful. Things that will, could eventually harm you. Is sex outside of marriage going to harm you? Yes. Is laziness going to harm you? Yes. Probably financially, physically. So if we are, again, it starts with a desire. Here's another verse that kind of drives that point home. But each one is tempted. That's when it's going to tell us when we're tempted. When he is drawn away by his what? own desires and enticed our sin starts with our desires if you want to know if you're going to sin in a certain area or if sin if something is a problem for you start to look at the things you desire and check those desires it starts with what's inside of our own hearts it says when a desire is conceived or desire then you take a step into that and follow up on it so for guys, I'll talk to uh, guys maybe that are struggling with lust, and they'll have this thought. They'll see a, a woman, and all of a sudden, they have this thought. And it's like, you got to kick that thought out right there. 
I call it rolling around. As soon as you start rolling around with that thought and letting that roll around, and then you play it out, and then you play this part of it out, and then you play this part of it out. Sorry, ladies, if this is awkward for you guys, but that's become sin. Your desire, which in and of itself could have just been stopped and said, like, nope, I cannot go. But it drew you away. You were drawn away and started following down that path. Does that make sense? So then let's say I have another desire. I'm like, uh, Carly says something to me, and man, I got a zinger, and I'm upset, and I got some things that would be some harmful words, and I can put her in her place really quick. That's a temptation, isn't it? It's a desire. I want to lash out at her. Well, that desire, if I just go, nope, bite my lip. But once I let those words come out of my mouth, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. If that's the point I'm sinning. Are you guys with me? Does this make sense? And what happens once you sin? What's going to be the result? When it's full grown, it brings forth death. What kind of death does sin bring? Death to a relationship? If I say that to Carly, that's going to bring death to her, right? It's going to harm, bring death to our relationship. It brings, I feel like, an inner uh, death. I think I forget who it was. I, th I think it was Diana was talking about the peace that's lost, and there's kind of a yeah, feels rotten. There's this desire. It started out with a desire, and all of a sudden I got this yucky death. Whether it's in a relationship, it can cause us physical death. Some habits, some lust, some temptations that we give into, give into, give into, can lead to actual physical death. For the unbeliever. That sin leads to spiritual death and permanent separation from God unless they receive the gift of life from Jesus Christ. Sin's nasty stuff, and it starts with our little harmless desires. That's what we have to understand. It starts with this thing that starts in our heart. So question to ask yourself, am I aware of my own evil desires? Am I able to call them out for what they are? Or do I ignore justify or excuse them can you think right now like maybe it's some of your own way of thinking and feeling and desires in your heart that could end could lean towards evil kind of some couple i would encourage you to just realize that if you're like i don't know man i, I don't really have evil desires i think one you need to realize like yes we do and just kind of own that and then say, God, maybe I have this big, ugly definition of evil. Can you show me what some of my evil desires are? Maybe it's just to be rich. And it's kind of an evil thing. Like, I'll do whatever it takes to be rich. I'm not saying having money is evil. But if your desire is set on that, you're going to do whatever it takes. And that's all you care about. That could be an evil desire, right? Next, don't let your liberty lead to sin because sin is tricky and dangerous. Despite all that them had, they had, God had done for them, they disregarded, they used their own judgment. That's what we do. They ended up worshiping idols, became immoral, tested the Lord, patience, groveled against God. They deceived themselves. What we do. And they're thinking they could do things their way and get away with it. However, because of their choices, they suffered God's discipline. Ultimately, ended up dying in the wilderness. This is what sin is tricky. It brings death. Here, just a chance death. 
shouldn't get tricked into that. Tricked into that. Examples. Why would Paul say we need examples? This sounds so drastic, so dramatic. Why in the world is Paul going, you guys need to hear some examples? What? So we can learn. It means it's a possibility for us, right? And they were written for our admonition to admonish us, admonish us, upon whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, this is, I feel like, one of the big takeaways let him who thinks he stand take heed, lest I fall. I say to the elders and myself very often, everybody in this room, well, I say it for us, we're all one or two poor choices away from destroying our lives. And that one or two choices may just be the choice that got us on the path that ends up leading to death. But you know why that's possible? Because when we think we stand and we're not humble and we're not dependent on Christ, and we're not going, this could happen to me. My liberty could turn around and bite me in the rear. That's when you're susceptible to falling and falling hard. When you think, I got this. Yeah, God's been with me. God saved me. I'm a Christian. I can do things my way. That's what they did. And God said, no, I just gave you some examples of how my people, who I loved, I provided for, I protected, decided to do things their way, and it cost them dearly. The same is true for us. So the question to ask is, how serious do I take sin? This is kind of a similar example that I was given with the dog. Do I think of it as a pet tiger that I've trained and control? Or do I think of it as an animal that may appear tame, but has the potential of devouring me and those I love? You ever see... These cute little cuddly tiger, whatever they're calling, what are they, they don't call them kittens. I don't know what you call them, cubs. 
tiger cub, and you're like, oh, I'd hold that. That's cute. That'd be fun to have one of those. But, I mean, you can kind of, they have, there's a little something that's kind of cute about them, right? You see them play, and then they got the awkward mo motions and all that, and you're like, there's a little tiger cub. I want to take one home. And then you got your little tiger cub, and over a little bit of time, that thing can turn on you and devour you and those you love. You're the one who brought the tiger home, the little baby cute tiger that you thought you could handle. You seem to follow the rules. You got it a little cute pink leash that was so little dainty with a diamond collar, and you led your little thing around, and you told it what to do. And then all of a sudden, you don't expect it. That thing becomes full-grown and takes over your household, your life, and the people that didn't even bring it into the house then suffer at the hands of your decision. Do we take sin that serious? I don't think I do often enough. We need to look at how tricky, how deceitful, how dangerous sin is. Uh, I think it's in the Psalms where it says, can a man take hot coals into his lap and not be burned? That's where we would get our saying, don't play with fire, right? How many people here physically, at least when they were younger, liked playing with fire? I did. One of the worst things, uh, or one of the worst moments of my honeymoon was I was trying to impress Carly. We're camping, and I, I pull a coal out, which if you do it quick, you can do it. I pulled a coal out and started going like this with this coal. And I'm thinking, I can play with fire. And my wife's thinking, I married an idiot. And the reality is, if we think we can play with fire, we're idiots. We need to beware that sin can bite us, can burn us, and harm not only us, but those we love. And I think we don't have a healthy enough, I don't have a healthy enough respect for that very often. We'll have our little pet sins that we don't think is a big deal or but we need to realize, like, man, this can turn around and cause some problems. So all that after Paul says all this, he's like, hey, look what happened to Israel. God loved them. God did this. They chose to sin. They ended up dying. You may kind of get the idea of, like, hmm, guess we're doomed. Guess we're all going to go down that path. And Paul says, no, sin is avoidable. We do not have to sin. So after he said all of those things, he just got done telling them. They died. This is written for your example. Don't be like them. Take heed lest you fall. Take heed if you think you stand so that you don't fall. He's basically just got done saying all that. But he's saying you don't have to fall. No temptation. None. No temptation. I know David Mitchell has done some teaching on this in the, in the past. And I know he could build on this. But I'm going to give a quick version. No temptation has overtaken you except such is common to man. Nobody in this room has faced a temptation that somebody else has not faced. Other people have faced every temptation. So we need to get out of our head like, it was so, you don't understand. It was so precious. Other people have done it and other people have walked away without sinning. So we have this temptation, but... God's faithful. That's a fact, right? And because God is faithful, one, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. 
He's not going to tempt you beyond what you can handle. I shouldn't say that. God doesn't tempt us at all. He will not allow you to be tempted is a better way to word that. God never tempts his people. That would be like a, a father trying to entice their children to do something wrong. That would be a horrible father. God doesn't try and entice us to do things that are wrong. But he does, like we talked about at the beginning, let your kids get out there and he will allow them to be tempted. But he doesn't allow you and I to be tempted beyond what we are able to handle. That's good news. The, this verse is so empowering in fighting against sin because you can right there say, other people have experienced this temptation. This temptation is something that can be handled. God's given me the ability to handle this temptation. He's faithful. And then here's the other part of that. But with the temptation, we'll also make a way of escape. So there's always a way out of the temptation that you may be able to bear it or through the temptation without sinning. So you could run and get out of there, escape it. Or you can go through it without sinning. You do not have to sin when you are tempted. This would be a great verse to memorize, especially if there are particular sin habits that you struggle with and you can feel that old temptation start to build, start to build, start to build. And you quote this, you go, I'm not, God's not allowing me to be tempted. He's not allowing me to be tempted what I'm able. I am able to handle this if I use what God's given me. God's providing either a way of escape or a way for me to get through this. Uh, I'm not going to read all that, but I'm going to read this last little part. It says, one of the reasons we yield, this is uh, from a guy named uh, McGee. I think it's Jay Vernon McGee. Some of you probably listen to his old radio shows. Who is the guy who used to say, and that's the rest of our story? Paul Harvey. So this is kind of like the Christian Paul Harvey. Uh, Jay Vernon McGee was kind of that old kind of uh, preacher, and he was really cool. He had a little radio show and stuff. But here's what he said. One of the reasons we yield to temptation is that we are like the little boy in the pantry. His mother heard a noise because he had taken down the cookie jar. And she said, Willie, where are you? And he answered that he was in the pantry. What are you doing in there? He said, I'm fighting temptation. My friend, that is not the place to fight temptation. That is the place to start running. That's kind of the attitude. A lot of us do kind of like, well, I can kind of just. And I gave you the thing. Like now he's like, I cannot sell. Oh, I just said his name. Hope he's not listening. That's his, that's not his real name. It's been changing. This guy's a lie. A joke, not a lie. Uh, sorry. Man, I usually, I really try to never share names. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't know. He, he wouldn't care, honestly. Yeah. Who? That's right. I like how quick you think of. So a lot of times that's what we're doing. Like, oh, I can hang out at the casino. Oh, I can just have one drink. Oh, I can go to, uh, and I remember Ned and I talking to a guy who was going to go lay out 
uh, unmarried guy was going to go lay out at Fountain Hills and look at the stars with this girl. And we're like, dude, don't be a knucklehead, man. We know, know where this is going to end up. Uh, but that's kind of how some of us think we can kind of fight temptation. That's not fighting temptation at all. God provides a way of escape. Sometimes the escape is don't go lay down in the park and look at the stars with this girl you like. Like, that's dumb. So we need to realize that that's the way that God does give us a way out. And kind of on a similar note, this verse uh, came to my mind as I was putting this together. Paul says in Romans, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, which that covers a lot, right? You're not, you might be like, oh, I don't have to worry about drunkenness. Oh, lewdness, no. Well, maybe you have some other lust, strife, envy. You're like, oh, maybe I, yeah, I got strife. I, let us not walk in that way. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. The idea here is make no provision. Here's the picture. Make no provision for the flesh. If you picture your flesh, your selfish desires, is let's say we got a big bonfire here, or a fire, and that's kind of what our desires can be, like this fire burning, right? Making a provision for that would be I take something and put it way closer than it should be to that fire, and I kind of get close with my gas can full of, full of gas. And I'm kind of like I'm making a provision. I'm bringing that way closer to the fire, the source that, that, that could ignite this whole thing into a big thing. To make no provision would be you go put that gas can outside. And a lot of times this is what we do is we make provisions for our flesh and we'll do really things that will kind of give us, I would call it like flirting with sin. We, we don't want to stay 10 feet back from the line. We want to go, I'm going to get as close to the line without crossing it as possible. That's making provision for your flesh. You're like, I know I shouldn't do this. I'm not going to do that. But we're just going to go lay in the park and look at the stars. Okay? Like, not going to really sin. But uh, come on. That's making a provision for your flesh to fulfill its lust. You're kind of trying to trick yourself. That's a big head game. Can anybody else here relate to that? You're kind of thinking of a thing you've done, maybe where you're kind of like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. It's like, it's like I, know I, I know I need to quit. Uh, I know I need to eat healthy. I need to eat better. Uh, I'm going to get some ho-hos for when the grandkids are over, though. It's like, okay, maybe, maybe you don't get ho-hos for the grandkids. Figure out a healthy snack for them. If that's the thing, don't make a provision for this thing that's a problem. So, Kind of the question would be, how do I respond to temptation? Do I flee it? Do I fight it? Or do I flirt with it? And in what ways do I make provisions for my flesh? Maybe in this, you're kind of thinking like, yeah, man, I kind of do that with this thing or that thing. And so kind of be thinking of how you might be doing that for yourself. So again, today, kind of the big idea was that first part, beware of letting your freedom lead you, is primarily we'll talk next week about some other things, into sin. Can you see how easy it would be for God to go, I've given you some freedom. And us, like our little maniac kids do, take that freedom and abuse it and end up running themselves into trouble. That's what God's saying. And what he said in here too in, in Corinthians, he's saying, 
God's going to discipline those kids. They're going to get a spanking. A bunch of them died in the wilderness. I don't know what the spanking would look like for you or for me, but God's not going to turn his head and he's not going to ignore it. God's going to discipline us when we do that. And so we don't want his discipline. He doesn't get rid of us as kids. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't turn his back on us. He doesn't quit loving us. He doesn't stop forgiving us, but he's going to go, I'm going to have to address this. You're not going to like it. And a lot of it, I think, is natural consequences built in is how God disciplines us. And I just want to make one other thing clear. Sometimes it can be this emphasis on sin, sin, stay away from sin, 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 stay away from sin. The answer is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the cure for sin. Staying close to Christ, relying on Christ, depending on Christ, that's the cure for sin. Through Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. Through Christ, we have victory over sin. It's about Jesus Christ. The idea here isn't go out there and fight some sin. The idea here is go out there and cling to Christ. And he will give you victory over sin. Desperately lean on Christ so that he can get you through the temptation. That's the idea here. Don't play with fire, but we need to be running to God, running to Christ. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son. We do thank you for the fact that in Christ we have freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom from the power of sin, and that one of these days we'll even be free of the presence of sin. We won't even have to deal with sin anymore. So we know that victory is already won over sin through your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to walk in that victory this week. I do thank you for these scriptures that you give us as an example, as a warning, as a reminder. Help us to, to really trust what your word says and not think uh, we got it figured out or we can depend on our own reasoning. Help us to trust your judgments more than our own. In Jesus' name, amen.